there are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as from my own experience consulting, including the work I do today at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I will get to the program in just a moment, but let, my th- let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Gary Allen, who is a longtime journalist and radio personality. We talked about the current events that affect our lives and the way we work. It was entertaining and educational all in one. With us this week is Dr. Darren Martin, the culture architect, author, and keynote speaker. We'll be talking about why engagement is so low today in companies, what some companies do that contribute to the problem, and what others are doing to get it right. Dr. Darren Martin joins us today from Dallas, Texas. Darren, welcome to Working on Purpose. I'm so excited about being here, Ellie. Thank you. You are so welcome. Um, If I can just tell my listeners, you never know who you're going to meet at a networking event. And I picked him up, if you will, a few weeks ago at a networking event. He was minding his very own business when he got tapped on the shoulder. Um, (laughs) You were on my radar for a while. So I'm so glad I got to meet you in person and invite you to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited. (laughs) Well. Well, I want to dive right into this. I mean, I have to say, when you gave me the figure that you did at at the gathering, I was shocked when you said that only 29% of the population is engaged at work. What's up with that, Darren? What's going on? Okay, so I know that sounds like a low number, but at least the reality is when I speak uh, to C-level executives, managers, and I ask them what they think that number is, they don't guess 29%. It's generally lower than that. I get 20%, 15%, 5% when I ask, hey, how many highly engaged employees do you think there are at a typical company? So, I mean, we have a real dilemma. We've known this for a while in the workplace, uh, and it's, it's pretty much epidemic proportions. And by the way, this is, not a, this is not a new 2018 thing. This has been going on for a long time. Okay. Well, let's 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 get specific here. Are we talking about the United States of America? Are we talking about Dallas, Texas, the state of Texas? Are we talking about the world? What are we talking about? So this is specific this is specifically US based companies. It's based on a Gallup poll um, that they've been running for a long time and that's where that, that number comes from. Uh, but if you think about it, that means that basically a third of the workforce is showing up truly engaged. And the other two-thirds of the workforce are what I call zombie employees. They're just kind of, you know, walking the hallways, drawing paychecks. And, uh, you know, a lot of people listening to this either work with those kind of people. Maybe they feel like one of those kind of people. They go, hey, look, I go to my job. It's a J-O-B. I put my time in. 
but there's not really that energy and passion around either what's going on at the company or, uh, you know, what they're a part of. And there's, there's multiple reasons for that, but we either have to conclude that two thirds of the workforce is just horrible, right? Just sucked, or we're not really tapping into something, um, that, that engages people and empowers people, and I think that that's much more the issue. Well, and of course, you know, when you and I first met, and, and you, I told you the name on my radio show, and that I wanted you to be on it, and you're like, yep, I'm in, I'm totally in, and right, aren't we just looking at this together in a similar way? I mean, I want to activate passion and purpose in people, and I want them to bring it all across their, their lives, and certainly to work, so... Um, yeah. That's one of the big reasons I was so interested in having you on the show and, and extracting from you. So, yeah. And by let's, the way, let's, Elise, let's talk you, about you, you, you asked yeah, about globally. Let me let me just say this: We just got back from overseas. I was in uh, Kuala Lumpur doing a speaking gig for a bunch of uh, physicians oh, yeah, from yeah. all over the oh, world. Yeah. yeah. And then I was in Bangkok uh, doing a doing a speaking gig, some other things. And what I would tell you is, though, I don't have the numbers on that. The, the Gallup poll is specific to the U.S. I don't think that number's uh, certainly any bigger around the world. This is this is a worldwide kind of issue. So, so I just want to throw that in there. Thank you for that. And I had forgotten that you you uh, have traveled to to Malaysia, et cetera. That's fantastic. As you know, I've been there too and had a similar experience. And it's a it's a great place to to get to work. And so, thanks for bringing that up. That's great. Um, well, let's let's talk about maybe what's driving some of this stuff, Darren. So, in in your experience, what is driving these low engagement rates? Where is this coming from? I, I I think there's really multiple levels. Part of it is people are just flat out bored. There's nothing really enticing about um, uh, many many people's jobs. They they don't feel a close connection to the company, what the company stands for, what they're trying to. Uh, do and accomplish. And then we've created so many layers. When you move decision-making so far away from what I call the bowels, right? When you get people that are, you know, uh, it, 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 it has to go through this big, you know, complicated process. And many people know that, look, I don't really have any kind of, you know, budgetary uh, approval. I, I don't have uh, decision-making authority. And at some point, you know, when I, when I, I know we're going to get into this later, but I talk about a company of owners. One thing is I say, when you want, if you want people to act like owners, you have to treat people like owners. And a lot of people are just not being treated like owners. And it's not a shocker that, that we're not seeing, uh, that kind of behavior. Um, you know, Henry, Henry Ford is on record as saying, why, when I ask for a pair of hands, do I get a brain? And you think about what kind of worker then Ford was looking at, uh, you know, wanting at some point. I can, you know, justify that he was trying to to do something fundamentally different, just in terms of mass production. But unfortunately, that mentality kind of seeped into the workplace over the course of years, and it, we just kind of adopted this: look, just do as you're told. Don't, don't, you know, I don't. I'm not paying you to think. I'm paying you to do your job, whatever that job may be. And I think we've just, you know, robbed the spirit right out of what what work is really meant to be. Uh, And unfortunately for a lot of people, instead of uh, invigorating, uh, you know, um, exciting place where they get to bring their best and they're learning and they're growing, it just has become a, a really big soul suck for so many people. And that's why we celebrate, you know, thank God it's Friday. That's why Monday is, you know, the dreariest day on the planet. And I don't think it has to be that way. I would agree. And just really quick, I want to present 
sense what you said here, because I think you and I talked about this, Darren, but I, I spent the last 15 years investigating how people find meaning in their work. How does it register for them? And what does it mean to their sense of self and identity? And I came up with the 15 modes of engagement. And they're all the way from um, living my purpose and, and transcendent connection down to existential crisis. Um, a tremendous spectrum of experience that people can experience at work. And it's just, it's, it, there's an awful lot there. So when you think about what makes a human being, there's so so much to tap. And you're right, I'm with you. If we can find a way to activate so that it, it shows up as an invigorating, challenging, interesting, stimulating, fun event versus one that they have to get through in order to eat, I'm, I'm, I'm on that train. Yeah, and you know as well as I do that people walk out of those jobs with very low engagement. They go back out to life, and many of them are highly engaged when it comes to hobbies or pastimes or, you know, they, they're out on the golf course every weekend trying to improve their game or they're climbing Mount Everest or building race cars or, you know, starting a bowling league. I mean, I, you know, I was talking to a company a while back, and they said, well, they're union employees. You can't, you know, you can't... Uh, they're just not going to be engaged, their union. And I said, look, union has nothing to do with it because those very same people, once they walk through that gate, become highly engaged in life. It's just that there's this big disconnect between what's going on in, on the nine-to-five job and what feels like life is really about in the outside world. Mm-hmm. I really get that. Well, I, I want to... In this show, I do as much as I can, Darren, to, to help give people access to, you know, real-world phenomena as, what's, as to what's happening in the world of work. And, and so I want to, if you can, and of course, if you'll, of course, keep the companies you might talk about anonymous so we can protect them. But any companies that you know of that have just really failed at creating a culture of engagement that just don't do engagement well, what are they doing? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think there's actually more of those than not, and that's why we have the statistics being what they are. Clearly, there are some outlier companies where it's not 29% engagement, it's it's 90%, it's 100%, it's full-on engagement. Those are definitely the exception, not the rule. And I think we've kind of lulled ourselves into a sense of complacency, and it gets into the finger pointing, you know, management, leadership, owners say, hey, it's employees, you just can't find good people. Now now the, the punching bag or the millennials, you know, it's all the millennials. We just can't get the millennials to, you know, to line up and, and, and work like we want them to. Well, a couple of problems with that. One is the statistics, as I said, have been around a long time, long before millennials, uh, and we just have this malaise at, 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 at work, and there, there are multiple reasons for that. But, uh, you know, I was out at a company one time, for example, and I was, I was doing some interviews, as I do, and I get out and talk to a big cross-section of people, and it was just, you know, low engagement, but in large part because they, they just had this very negative management style it's what I call uh, management by screaming and yelling obscenities at people, and I'm not. That's not an exaggeration, by the way. And uh, wow. so, for example, one of the yeah, one of the you know the the uh, potential high performers was talking about a, a person in a key leadership position, and he said, uh, Darren, the reality is there isn't a person out here that would do a. Excuse my language. This way, he said, there isn't a person out here that would do a damn thing for that guy. And I thought, wow, you know, this company setting themselves up for failure uh, just by having really poisonous leadership. 
So, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote about, um, you know, companies that I've experienced or come across that are what I call beached whale companies. They're just stuck on sand dunes. And, and the reason they have so low engagement is because they're so bureaucratic. They've got, um, you know, it, it just is, it takes uh, a, a huge effort just to get the smallest of things accomplished. And that just becomes a beat down for people at some point when you've got that much friction at work uh, and the inability to, to kind of be successful. You know, Ed Dimming said, nobody goes to work to do a bad job. And I think that's really the case. I think we have motivated, inspired people. That's in general, the human condition, but you have to tap into that. So, I mean, there, there are actually more examples of companies with just very lethargic cultures than those with really thriving cultures. Although I do think we're starting to, we're starting to turn the corner on some of that. The, the reason I wanted to talk about this at this juncture, Darren, and I'm sure you figured this out, is I, I do wanted to, I wanted to first call it the problem, right? That this, the staggering number that only a third of the population goes to work in an engaged, inspired fashion. Uh, and, and two, I wanted to talk about some of the things, that, the, the behaviors and the culture and the environment that companies create that contribute to that because I want to, I want people to understand, you know, what is the problem and, you know, as I call it, the anti-role model, what not to be kind of thing. Um, um, why do you think companies continue on like that? Why, if if they're if they don't like the results they're getting and they they don't really like the way they see people interacting and and, and contributing, why do you think they just continue to do the same thing? Boy, I, I mean that's that's kind of a que- a question for the human condition in general, right? The you know the the sign of insanity is <laughs> is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I I really find. Uh, a lack of confidence in the ability to change things. I think, uh, you know, we've, we've just bought into so many uh, preconceived notions about what work looks like and what it looks like for an employee to be a good employee and what, you know, a manager's role is. And uh, companies that have managed to cast off a lot of that stuff and not do the the rules and regulations approach, you know, um, so much, but have really realized, hey, we're working with people, you know, we're not working with systems and processes. It's it's the people that are behind all of that. And there's just, there's, there's, I, I, I think we went through a time in history. And in fact, um, people will tell you this. Well, nobody had to tell me, you know, I went to work and I just put in my hours and yes, I hated it, but I worked hard and that's what you did. And, you know, the old model of work 40 years and hope to make partner or get the gold watch or, you know, at least I'm getting my bills paid. Uh, those days are just over. They're fundamentally over. And, and quite frankly, that I don't think that system worked very well. It, it certainly didn't create high engagement. But I think there was that sort of just suck it up and do it uh, drive that we had, you know, within a, within a certain era. And so it, it, it was functional at some level. People were just grateful to have a job. And I think they look around now and, you know, some of the, the folks from that, that time period are a little miffed about, well, wait a minute, why does work have to be fulfilling or why do you have to enjoy it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there is, a, there is that mindset. And, it, uh, and then there were also, you know, we, we weren't living in a digital age, what, even 20, 25 years ago. Uh, the wheels moved much more slowly, and it was easier to mask um, mask things. We're now living in an age where speed is everything, 
was it Klaus Schwab that said in the old days it was the big fish that ate the small fish, but now it's the fast fish that eat the slow fish. And all of a sudden that mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, good old college try, let's trudge along and, you know, we're, we're, we're still selling products so we must be doing something right. Um, that that's starting to come apart at the seams. Great, Darren. I want to comment on that, but let's go ahead and take our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Darren Martin, the culture architect, author, and keynote speaker. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking about what how low the engagement rate is in the United States and even across the world and what contributes to that. After the break, we're going to talk more about what companies are doing to improve it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. encouraged and connected on our lively award-winning healthy living power hour star style be the star you are with host and empowerment architect cynthia bryan live every wednesday at 4 p.m pacific on the voice america empowerment channel tune in to the power party for positive uplifting life-changing talk radio visit starstyleradio.com It's time to live the life of inner peace that you deserve. Tune in every week for Sacred Exploration with host Lisa Tremont Oda. You can discover the you that has been kept hidden all this time. Show off your personal gifts to the world. Lisa and her guests will combine health and spirituality to bring you the experience that you've been waiting for. You'll enjoy this journey every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sure to be a nourishing experience. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Darren Martin, the culture architect, author, and keynote speaker. We've been talking before the break about how low the engagement level is for American workers, even beyond and across the world, and some of the things that companies do to contribute to that. Here next, what we want to talk about is some of the things that, that they're doing to get it right. But before we get into that, Darren, I, I want to just comment a little bit on what you said um, before we went on break about you know, maybe why organizations continue to do the behaviors that they do and, and get the results that they do. And, and I agree with what you had to say and want to add that I think part of it, too, is that they don't know what they don't know. And we're such automated people, right? We're so, we always go on autopilot in our lives and we continue to do things over and over again the same way. And we do oftentimes hope for a different result or expect a different result. And, and so I think there's this note of resignation that can happen within organizations where they, they start to expect that, well, that's just how it works. Employees don't work hard. They, they, they don't want to be here um, rather than expecting that they want to come with passion and purpose and, and contribute their best. So just wanted to add that to the conversation. And, and then once we, as the people that we are doing the work that we do to help activate this, and they start to get a glimpse of, oh, it could be like that. That could be fun, uh, right? Isn't it fun to work with organizations when we can actually see those results happen? Isn't it amazing? Uh, it's, a, it's a night and day difference, right? And I, I do agree. We've got, we've got in some cases people out there that, that don't even – uh, you know, I talked to a CEO one time that hated the word culture. He's like, I don't know what that is. That's just a bunch of, and it kind of reflected in, in the culture, quite frankly. Uh, but, but yeah, when you work in a place where everything is just clicking and, uh, you know, there's, there's real legitimate kind of, uh, teamwork and people are, you know, feeling empowered, it, it's a joy rather than a drain. And what you know, a lot of you know leaders don't realize is company cultures happen either by default or design. And the reason we have so many just not so great cultures out there is because a lot of them have let it happen by default. Uh, it's it's not their area of expertise. They haven't paid attention to it, and consequently, they just get you know the luck of the draw of whatever they they've kind of cobbled together. But I, there are big exceptions to that, and you know. Uh, a, a number of companies that are doing it great and have a completely different experience at work. I agree, and it's just, a, as you say, it's a delight to get to see them in action and be part of it in some way. Yeah. I, I want I want to get to the place of you know, some of the, the, the things that companies are doing well, and before we do that, I, I want to presence us again today. We talked a bit about some of the historical past of what how workers came to work and expected to maybe hang out for 40 years and then retire and then go about their real life afterwards. You and I talked when we spoke about the fact that the world of work is changing, and we all understand that. I mean, how people relate and engage, of course, to it is changing. I think it would be useful if maybe you could maybe compare and contrast the previous maybe one or two decades with what we're enjoying today or living today. Can you kind of presence that for us, Darren? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, many of the jobs that were available uh, were much more rote. Uh, mundane, they were necessary, uh, somebody had to do them. And it was a, it, it, it created a, uh, workforce of kind of either entry level or, um, non necessarily, you, you didn't have to have a, a college degree, et cetera, to do some of those jobs. We see a major shift that's going on. I mean, we're living, we talked about this, at least, but we're living in, I think, the biggest shift in the history of ever. 
Uh, it's what we call a liminal moment. I mean, everything is changing. And a lot of those uh, very repetitive kind of mundane type jobs, they're just flat out going away. Those are being outsourced. And so it's not just it's not just that the cultures are changing or that what people are expecting from work is changing. It's that the actual work is changing. When you go from an agrarian society where I'm a farmer to working in a factory, the skill set between those two is so fundamentally different that, you know, it just requires a whole, a whole new set of tools. And we're going from a corporate, uh, kind of functioning, pencil pushing, moving things around, you know, uh, uh, kind of that corporate machine to a much more um, dynamic work environment. And that's going to require new skills and, and also create new opportunities as well. So I, I think the workplace of the next 10 years goes through a, a, a major, major shift uh, and is going to increasingly look fundamentally different from what we've had in the last 40, 50, 60 years. Well, I agree, and, and anybody who's listened to my show a couple of times have probably heard me talk about my fascination with how robotics and artificial intelligence are impacting the, the, the workforce, the work experience, and how we do our work. What's your take on, on, on how technology is interacting with and changing the way we work? Okay, and I am so passionate about this, but uh, if people work in a job that is what I call decision tree-based, if this, then that, every time it's an A, then the right answer is, is D. You know, there's a path that is followed consistently. I think ultimately those jobs are going away. They're going to change because uh, AI can do that. Machine learning can do that. There are all sorts of you know, things, we just saw the first uh, burger flipping, you know, machine mm-hmm. come online. And you think about it, well, that's a decision tree. You know, you put the, there's a, there's a process, there's a formula. You, you put the burger on, you leave it for three minutes, you flip it, you do another three minutes, you take it off. I mean, that's not a, you know, that, that, that's, that's best done when it's done exactly as the formula calls for. And even things like flying and landing a plane, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all jobs by the numbers, as complicated as some of them may be. And so I think the the beauty, that, that can sound really scary. You know, you've heard all the projections that within the next 20 years, 45% of the jobs that we currently have are, are just not going to be here. The reality is that's happened down through history as well. We went through a shift where, you know, a huge part of the population were farmers, and then all of a sudden it seemed almost overnight that that just changed. Well, we've found something else, you know, people don't look back and uh, bemoan the fact that, oh, why can't we all be, be farmers? Although, ironically, it's funny, people are kind of going back to that, right? We have the, the mm-hmm. local grown and that whole, you know, uh, a shift back to, to the way we think about food. But so that's, you know, I, I think what gets people noticed into the future is going to be much more on the right brain side, the creativity, the ability to come up with ideas and to, to dream the vision. And, you know, uh, I read a book years ago, I think it was ahead of its time by Daniel Pink called, uh, a whole new mind. Why, why yes. right brainers are going to inherit the earth. Right. And I love, I love, uh, Pink's take on that. And, and that's kind of the shift we're seeing, you know, if, if, 
those those traditional jobs that stand here, drill this hole here, you know, what, what I was quoted earlier, Ford was looking for, uh, mach- machines are doing that. Um, so that's, that's kind of the shift. Now, in terms of companies getting it right, though, Elise, I've seen companies everywhere from big, high-dollar, people think it's all about just the level of uh, education and how much you're paying people, but I've seen everything from super high-paying jobs uh, in, in high-level industries to fast food. You know, I would throw out Chick-fil-A, in and out Burgers, a couple of examples. You've got some entry-level, you know, $13, $12, $14, $15 hour jobs uh, with some highly engaged employees. It's much more about people being attached and a part of something and feeling like uh, they matter and that they are connected with something that has a, a, a much bigger vision, even if it's just creating a certain experience in a, you know, kind of a fast food world. So mm-hmm. it's, it's more about the dynamic at work than it is necessarily about what's the product, what's the, what's the industry. Again, I agree, and I want to add to what you said also on the artificial intelligence robotics piece. So it's, again, because like you, I'm quite passionate about that. And when I when I layer that over to what I've been doing as a meaning and work researcher, what I know, Darren, is that for the most part, the more highly level skills that a person can bring, if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of of, of meaning, you think at the physical security level, then you move on to the social sort of level, and then the cognitive challenge and the values, etc. The higher that people get in that in that in that spectrum, if that's where most of their work ends, the more generally the more fulfilling it is for them. That's what I found through the work that I do. So if we can go ahead and replace jobs that don't require those lower level connections and we get them into the higher level connections, then yes, it will require training and learning for them and new tooling, et cetera. And they get the trade off of being more fulfilled and, and giving more of their whole humanity to their work. And and that's the kind of work that I want to be involved in, Darren. That's part of, that's the movement that I'm working to be involved in because I think there's there's some real need in organizations to do that and do it well. Yeah, and uh, you know, just anecdotally, if you look at I've I've seen a bunch of numbers recently that fifty over fifty percent of the billion dollar plus companies in the U.S. were started by immigrants, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that. Uh, just people with dyslexia are have a higher percentage rate of becoming millionaires than non-dyslexic people. And part of that is because, you know, they, they struggle in school and they've had to find, they've had to be creative. They've had to find other ways because, you know, they're, they're may not jack it out of the ballpark on the SAT or, you know, uh, you know, standardized testing and some of those things. And so they had to kind of roll up their sleeves and get out there and grapple and figure it out. And so, you know, we see even from that standpoint, just from the skill set, that this isn't, unfortunately, I don't really believe academia is preparing people. Um, I hope I don't get a whole bunch of hate mail for this. Uh, and <laughs> yes, I have, I have a baby in college, I, you know, going that route. But I just don't think academia is really uh, preparing people for the kind of what we're talking about. I think it could, but just the degree alone, the... Uh, you know, I, I, I have this, this resume isn't what's going to cut it into the future. It's about, can you, can you adjust and can you think and can you, um, really 
you know, drive things forward in a, in a whole different way. Uh, again, I agree. I do think that we can, we do need to uh, ratchet up or change our, our our education system to prepare people to work in a, a world of fast flux change for sure and contribute on a different level. Completely agree with that. And to that end, Darren, can you say a little bit more? I, I, I you've already talked about the right brain and the creativity being essential uh, competencies that people start to develop in this new world that we live in. But how do you think individuals can make themselves indispensable to an organization? Oh, I love that because, uh, you know, I think that's what acting like an owner is all about. I, I, the first half of the book, A Company of Owners, is really about creating a culture. The second half is how do I make myself, uh, and I don't say it specifically in the book in these words, but how do I make myself indispensable to an organization? The, the uh, old system of you got rewarded for st- standing in line, you got rewarded for following the, the system, um, that, that's not what's getting rewarded moving forward. And it, it's also not if companies want to um, attract and retain the top talent, they, the, the top talent are not people who want to do that in the first place. Right. They want an ability to shine. They want to be able to get out there. And you are much, much better off, um, you know, being in a, in a position where you are separating yourself from the pack. You are looking different. You're acting different. Uh, I think with the low, with engagement as low it is, as it is, when you get somebody who really just is, is on fire to help make the company better and do some things. And they're doing that in a, in a intelligent way. Those are the people that are indispensable. Now, historically, we've had some scenarios where, you know, it's what the Australians call the tall poppy syndrome, where you don't want to stand out because you're just going to get your head chopped off, right? Um, But that's, I I think those days are increasingly over, other than in some of our, you know, stodgier institutions don't make waves. But the employees that are really going to thrive in the future are not even employees. I don't... I think we need to change our entire nomenclature. I don't like the language, boss, employee. I think people are, you know, business partners. Um, people are employed not because they have to be specifically at that company. You know, there's, there's, um, there are options. They're not segmented into something you have to go work at this place. And so I think we've got to think on a much more entrepreneurial partner level about what work even looks like. So that uh, we even think about a change in the language and the way that we we talk about things. I completely agree. And hence, where does the word architect come in for what you do? Certainly architecting a whole new language and a whole new way of working. I completely agree with that. Um, I want to talk more about that, but let's go ahead and catch our our last break here, Darren, and I want to get more after the break. We'll talk about some of the the companies that are really doing some of this stuff well and get present to that. I'm Elise Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Darren Martin, who is the culture architect, author, and keynote speaker. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. 
She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's time to live the life of inner peace that you deserve. Tune in every week for Sacred Exploration with host Lisa Tremont Oda. You can discover the you that has been kept hidden all this time. Show off your personal gifts to the world. Lisa and her guests will combine health and spirituality to bring you the experience that you've been waiting for. You'll enjoy this journey every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sure to be a nourishing experience. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Darren Martin, the culture architect, author, and keynote speaker. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last bit of time together, Darren, I I wanted to now bring it back into a good, strong, uplifting close and and talk about companies that have really cracked the code on creating a culture of vibrancy, of engagement. Um, How do they do it? Tell us, maybe give us some ideas of what are they doing, what does it feel like, what are the behaviors that they're doing? So I think for I think for starters, they have created a strong affiliation with the people that uh, with the, they're working with. If you look down through history, I mean, if we go way back, organizations that have really thrived and stood the test of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'll just throw some out there. I'm, I'm not a Mason, but Ma- Masons. You know, if you what is Masons? Uh, the Marines, secret societies, fraternities, sororities, what do they all have in common? Well, you kind of earn your way in, and when you're in, then it's a, it, it means something. You're a part of something. And I think companies where people wear 
their company name with as a badge of honor because they're excited about what's going on. And it doesn't have to be that necessarily there's groundbreaking work, but it's just they feel like they're really they're really connected to to the identity of the company and what that company is accomplishing. So they may be doing something very rote and mundane just in terms of the product they're producing, but the culture that they have there is 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 really uh, rewarding. So I heard about a, a software company up in New York, and um, the the owner basically was asking folks, hey, what do you need? What can I do that can make your life even better? And by the way, that's one of the big things. It's amazing how much just listening and asking and finding out what people need and then responding to it. <laughs> that's 90% of the battle right there. Wow. But he asked them that, and, and you know, the response was, hey, um, could you put some cots in? And he said, well, you know, what do you, what do you need cots for? And they said, well, you know, sometimes you get on the train, we're working on a project, and uh, to take the 40-minute train ride home, get up in the morning, come back, I'd just rather stay late and keep working on it and be able to get some sleep and then get back at it, you know, in the morning. I mean, now who, <laughs> who doesn't dream of that kind of employee, right? Um, yeah. That, that's, that's what happens when you tap into the human spirit and mm-hmm. people feel like they're able to make a difference and that they're really invested in something. Um, those, those are the companies that are leading the charge. Um, you know, think about in any relationship. Uh, if you've got uh, people that are dating or in a marriage relationship, if your partner were to say to you, hey, I've really been thinking about us, and I want to I make us as good as we can be, uh, what are three things I could do that would improve our relationship even more or make your life easier? I mean, who would wow. want to hear that, that question, right? <laughs> Just in a relationship. So why is that any different at work? Um, you know, so I, I, I think those are some of the key things that they've created a strong identification of what it means to be a part of this. There's a little bit of that rites of passage of being a, a, a part of what we're doing here. You know, um, Zappos used to put people through training and then they would offer them money to not take the job. Uh, because their deal was we only want people that really, really want to be a part of this, you know, uh, and it created that sense of, hey, it's, it's a privilege to work here uh, because we're, we're, we're all passionate about being a part of something. So it's really what you talk about, which is passion. It's a, it is about connecting people and then giving them meaningful responsibilities, authority, um, you know, removing friction, all of that kind of stuff uh, that, that really goes into making a great culture. Mm. I really like what you said about tapping into the human spirit, Darren. And what I was just responding to and getting present to when you said that was some of the work that we do within our firm is, is very much about developing inspirational leaders. And, and part of that is just simply, you know, allowing yourself to be inspired first. And that means looking around and noticing how amazing the world is and then letting yourself respond to that moment, be in that moment and, and allow yourself to, to be moved and touched and inspired in a way that you can share that with someone else. And doing so very often is what we would say very enrolling. People want to be around somebody like that, somebody who's on fire and turned on about life, you know? So when you think about tapping into that human spirit, I mean, it means also at the same time for those leaders that are in an organization to do that, they must first be tapped into that themselves, right? 
Oh, absolutely. They have to be tapped into it. And that's, that's where the magic really happens. And by the way, great leaders don't produce followers. They produce other leaders. Mm-hmm. And when people are coming into a situation where they go, not only am I inspired by this person, but I'm, I'm inspired to, to emulate and to learn from uh, this person, then, then it's, a, it's a complete deal changer. You know, I had, um, I've got a buddy of mine that uh, I need to introduce you to at some point, but he said he had two kind of teachers growing up, those who taught him what to think and those who taught him how to think. And when somebody's mm-hmm. investing in you and teaching you really not just, oh, this is what you need to go think, this is what you need to go do, but really teaching you how to think and helping you grow as a person, uh, man, that, that's, that's intoxicating and people will gravitate to that uh, when they feel like they're a part of uh, leadership and people who are not only leading the way, but are also showing a path and helping them grow and develop to, to be even better than they ever thought they could be. You know, I'll just quickly say this. Some of my listeners have been on a show or two know have heard this really quick, but when I was 19 years old, I had a job as an administrative assistant, and I loved my boss, Darren. And about 18 months into, into my job, he, on the way out to, to lunch, said, oh, just matter-of-factly and cheerfully over his shoulder, you have to get out of here. You have to go see the world. You have to get an education to do something with yourself. But before you go, hire your replacement. And do you know... Darren, it never occurred to me that I could go to college. It never occurred wow. to me that I could go someplace beyond Portland, Oregon, where I lived. The man completely opened my eyes and, frankly, saved my life. I tell him every year because we're still friends 35 years later. So it's amazing what can happen when, when somebody opens possibility to you and sees you and gives you an opportunity and lets you see for yourself something that you couldn't see on your own. I completely agree with that. That is beautiful. That, that, that gives me chill bumps, and we all know the stories of the, uh, you know, struggling school with a 15%, you know, graduation rate, inner city, you know, poverty, and that one teacher comes in, and all of a sudden, bells and whistles go off, lights come on, and those kids have this, you know, an about face, and now it's up to 85, 90% graduation rate. Um <laughs> And and think about what it is to be on the receiving side of that and then think about what it is to be on the giving side of that. That's what the successful workplace of the future looks like where we really start to tap into that that human Mm -hmm. spirit and see some real beauty emerge. I am right there with you on that. And and to that end, I wanted you to say a little bit about the book that you wrote, The Company of Owners. I know that's a key part of how you work and, 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 and with companies, et cetera. So would you say a little bit about what is it you're trying to make sure that we understand from that book? So I, I call myself an evolutionary. I'm out to evolutionize the way we think about work. I hate that people drag themselves into work on a Monday morning and are, and are excited for it to end on a Friday. Uh, the book was actually born out of a conversation with the CEO of a $20 billion oil and gas company. I said, Hey, you need to fire all your employees. And, he's, and that's going to sound harsh. He said, what are you, what are you talking about, Martin? I said, you don't want employees. You want people who act like owners. And you could see that ding, ding, ding going off in his head. And you know, that emerged into conversations about, okay, well, if we want people to act like owners, we got to treat them like owners. And that means a lot of this stuff that we're doing or a lot of these you know, systems or management structures have to change, have to go away. And 
I, I really want the company of owners uh, to be a clarion call to to uh, corporate, not just corporate America, but all all over the world. It's having an impact uh, for people to, to sit up and go, wait a minute. You know, we we are uh, not employed by some outside structure. I own myself. I own my responsibilities. And when I take ownership of not only my job, but my life, then all of a sudden I start getting very, very different results. So companies that uh, are passionate about that want to see that happen and that are brave enough to do that. And then employees that are willing to stand out and say, I want, I do want to make myself indispensable to any company. That's, that's really what a company of owners was, was meant to, to spark. I, of course, endorse all of that. And one of the things that I would, I was thinking about, as you said, that's two things is one is I don't know too many people who don't get up in the morning and say, you know, I really just, hope that nobody notices me. I don't, I don't want to matter at all in my whole existence on the planet. I hope nobody notices that I ever showed up, right? <laughs> I just don't think there's too many people that wake up hoping for that. Rather, I think almost everybody wants to know that they made a difference, that they, they matter. And so when they get to do that and somebody notices it and then they acknowledge it or recognize it, um, it's, it's pretty powerful, um, right? And then the other thing that I was thinking about is when you talk about being part of something, instead of, you know, being an employee, but being an owner, you're part of something. One of the things I got from my research is that when people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, that's an incredibly powerful thing, right? So it, it informs and increases their sense of self. Again, an, another powerful way to be able to elicit the best in people if you make them bigger by having them walk through those two doors in the morning than, than not. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And then when you get a collection of people, you know, think about when a, when a local sports team wins the championship. There is this arm, you know, gathering. We are the world. You know, look at, we did it, you know, kind of thing. There's that collective celebration because it is bigger and people are a part of something that they feel really connected to. Uh, that's what work ought to look like on a daily basis. Um, it ought to be about celebrating the wins. It ought to be knowing what the wins even look like. And it ought to be about that, that bigger than ourselves elevation of self. I think you put that really, really well that takes place uh, when people are, are, are really connected to something much, much larger. I just got present again and reminded, I, I, there's a woman right here in Dallas that I'm working with. She and her husband own a company, and she is an example of the person that most of us would want to work for. She is working with me and she's, she said, Elise, I want to do something for my employees. I want to make sure that they know how grateful I am that they're here, that they're contributing their time, their energy and their talent to our organization. And it kind of, she kind of got welled up. She got moved. She got touched by that. And she said, what we do together is I want you to help me find a way to create something for them so we can develop them and recognize them. So they always know that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's great. I've got to meet her. She sounds awesome. She is awesome. I won't say what her name is because she might be embarrassed. And I, don't know if she, we, I didn't get her permission to talk about who she is, so I wouldn't do that. But uh, she is remarkable, and it's inspiring to get to work with, with owners who have that kind of conviction and care about their employees like that. And, and, and that's the other thing I wanted to say for our listeners is that, you know, for some of you listening right now, work really sucks. It just does. And it doesn't have to. And, and there, are, there are people out there to work for and with who, who want to recognize you and want to see you and want to help bring out your best. And, 
as you know, if you've been listening for a while, my intention on the show is to empower and inspire people to do and be their best. So um, would you like to chime in into anything on that for, for our listeners? We're getting close to an end here, but do you want to chime into that, Darren? Yeah, you get to decide. You get to decide. And I know some people in some really miserable jobs with some really miserable, you know, managers, and they feel like they don't, they can't go anywhere else. You still get to decide who you bring to work every day. And why not just go all out and say, I'm going to love the heck out of my job uh, in, in spite of everything that's going on, because I'm not, I'm not going to be, a, you know, a victim of that. Um, that's a good place to start. You might be really amazed by the results. Yes, I agree. I've In my research, I interviewed a chef who was absolutely miserable when I first interviewed him and actually cried a couple of times during the course of our conversation about his work experience. And six months later, after our conversation and some of the work he did, we circled back and he said, I'm, good news, Elise, I'm no longer in an existential crisis, so I'm now in conflicted fit in terms of a mode of engagement. I've gotten so much better and nothing has changed. I've got the same boss. It's the same work experience. The only thing that's changed is my attitude that I bring about the work. Completely I love it. Brilliant. Right? It is brilliant. So we've got just about a minute and a half left on the show here, Darren. I like to be able to give my guests the last word. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? We have people who listen across the globe and are in varying degrees of happiness and unhappiness in their work. What would you like to leave them with? You're not as stuck as, you're not as, stuck as you think you are. You, are uh, you, you get to be the uh, architect of your own life, and that starts with attitude. And as I said, who you're bringing into the workplace, who you're bringing in relationships, how you're showing up. Uh, the more you'll focus on trying to, you know, instead of trying to change all those circumstances and environments, just change you, you're going to find some real power behind that. Uh, you are the light of the world. You've got uh, amazingness just percolating under the surface. Go live it. I would agree. You're more powerful than you think, listeners. Dr. Darren Martin, thank you so much for joining me on Working on Purpose today. It was such a pleasure to have you work with you and interact with you and experience your passion, your purpose. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Elise. If you want to learn more about Dr. Darren Martin and the work he and his team are doing to evolutionize culture within companies or look into his many books or think about hiring him as a speaker, look at his website. It's just DarrenMartin.com. That's D-A-R-E-N-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. Join us next week when we're, near, when we're on the air with Diane McClay. She'll be talking about creating your ideal career in the second half of your life. See you then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.